Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new unsettling stories, taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. Fifteen years ago, I made one of the worst decisions of my life. I began drug dealing for a well-known biker gang. No, I wasn't a member, but I had connections to one of their members through my mutual friend, Josh. I had a short history in dealing years before, but got clean and walked the straight and narrow. I worked three jobs and was saving for college. However, tragedy struck when a very close relative of mine was murdered by her new husband while they were traveling in his home country. What made this even more difficult is that they had canceled their life insurance, so the cost of returning them to our country and the funeral arrangements that followed fell onto me and two other close relatives. Now, this isn't an excuse for what I did. I just wanted to provide some context to what was going through my head when I met with Josh and asked to set up a meeting with his relative Mike, who was a member of the well-known biker gang so that I could get back on my feet financially. If you're asking yourself why I didn't just pursue one of the millions of other avenues for financial assistance, it's because I was young, stupid, and wanted to replace that lost feeling with something I thought would make me feel better about myself at the time. So I gathered a team of hand-picked dealers at my house and waited for Mike to come by to discuss business. And soon enough, he arrives with two pounds of weed to front to me. My plan was to only involve myself by distributing to my runners so that I could work my regular jobs while making a passive income. Side note, I had known Mike for about a year at this point, which is why so much was given up front. For those that don't know, the term front means to loan, and the term runner refers to a dealer who works for you. Things went well over the next year, and my team expanded. I was making a ton of money. I sold the weed to my runners by the ounce, paid a discount per the pound, and was making hundreds in profit a week, thousands a month. I was happy, Mike was happy, and he only ever had to deal with me and never had to meet or address any of my runners. However, this is where the story takes a drastic turn for the worse, and why you should never trust a biker gang, especially when you're not working on the inside. I had just hired a good friend of mine as a runner. She needed money, was a single mother, and wanted to sell it to her friends, who came over and always needed weed. This girl ended up selling through ounces faster than anyone else, so I trusted her with more product to sell at once, since I would have to come back two or three times a week. However, I was going on vacation for three weeks, and wanted to make sure that she had access to enough while I was away, so I left her with a lot more than I usually would, which would turn out to not be a very bright move on my part. When I returned, I had come to collect, and everybody but her was up to date on their payments. And after excuse, after excuse, she came to me to inform me that her new scale was set to the wrong measurement system, and that she was out a good amount. I was upset, and nearly kicked her off the team, but I've known this girl for years, and it wasn't anything I couldn't recover on my own. However, she came to me when I was supposed to meet up with Mike to re-up, and because this took a lot longer than I had thought, I ended up being late to the meet. Now, 
Remember when I said you should never trust a biker unless you operate on the inside? I met up with Mike to let him know what happened, apologized for being late, and informed him that the situation had been dealt with. But Mike was furious. He tells me that because I was late, he was late meeting his connect for the weed. And since he was late, this connect would never deal with him again. He told me to meet him at Josh's house and to bring who was responsible for making me late. And if I didn't bring them, then I would be held accountable. Because this connect had made him 5000 a week in profit. Yeah, you heard right. This man told me that him being late once dissolved a profitable relationship with a connect that earned him 5k a week. I already knew what this meant for my runner. We were good friends, and there's no way I was going to allow a single mother to go through what I knew was coming her way. So I showed up to Josh's house on my own, and waited for Mike. I sat on Josh's couch for what felt like hours, by myself, and uncertain of the extent of what was going to happen. Then Mike walks in, greets Josh, talks with his partners for a bit, while completely ignoring me. First five minutes go by, then ten. Then Mike walks over and I remember waking up on the floor. From what I was told, Mike hit me across the head, and I blacked out. He proceeded to hit me for two to three more minutes, until I woke up to him still hitting me. We sat on the couch, and with a handgun to my head, he tells me that he's going to charge me the profit he would have made every week from his connect for the next year. For those keeping track, that's $260,000. He tells me that he's going to be generous enough to do the first payment of $5,000 within 48 hours. That the money that I just gave him for my re-up didn't count. That I needed to return the weed. And that he was giving me 24 hours for each additional five k after that. He took my car which he underpriced at $10,000. This was a newish Mercedes at the time that I was still making payments on, and he essentially planned on using me as a human ATM. At this point, I knew what was happening, and despite our relationship for the past year, he was going to exploit me for as long as he could until he had reason to get rid of me. So I went home, thought about my options. I had about 17000 in cash and another 18000 in savings but even that would only get me by on the payments for a week. I realized that even if I was able to come up with half of the money, I would end up in jail or worse. After 24 hours of deliberating, I considered the fact that Mike had never met any of my runners, my family had moved away from this town after the death of my relative, and there was no way I was going to risk my life or my freedom for some arbitrary debt. So I took all my cash, made my savings available, and I knew I only had 24 hours to run as fast as I could and as far as I could. 4.30 a.m. I gathered a bag full of clothes, called a lifelong friend of mine who had moved to another country, explained the situation, and asked if I could stay on his couch for a week. I then took a bus as close to the Greyhound station as I could get without stopping in front of it. The Greyhound didn't require a photo ID at the time, and I didn't want to fly out of my own city in case anyone saw me, or Mike was able to figure out where I was going by pressing any of the airport staff. At this point, my heart was beating out of my chest, because although the Greyhound isn't as busy as the airport, if Mike or anyone he knew saw me there, it would be game over. I waited an hour, then walked inside, 
bought a ticket for a city three and a half hours away that had an airport. Before boarding, I wrote down all my important contacts. I removed the battery from my phone, dropped it down the sewer, and began my escape. 8.15 a.m. I stop in said city, buy an airplane ticket to go and meet said friend. 12.30 p.m. I land in a country that I've never been to, in a city that I've never even thought about. My friend picks me up and we talk about the situation the entire way home. He and I had similar pasts, and although the story itself is ridiculous, he understands. When we arrive at his place, I cut my hair, decide on a new name that I'll go by while staying in the city, while deciding on my next move. I get a new prepaid phone and a new phone number, and then I try to relax. 6 p.m. I was supposed to meet Mike 30 minutes ago, and the stress comes flooding in. 8 p.m. We've been drinking and telling stories, and I remember that I hadn't deleted my Facebook. So I jumped onto my friend's laptop, threw on a VPN that was located in my home country, and was met with a flood of messages. Josh and Mike had kicked in my front door and destroyed the place. They left messages with the addresses of places they thought I was hiding out. They told me that they were watching the airport and bus stations, and told me that it would be impossible to leave the city. It was at that point that I realized they never knew I left. Throughout the coming weeks, months, and years, I made a habit of changing phones and moved around from city to city and country to country. I even did those work-for-your-accommodation programs in a couple of the countries as a tourist. Every few weeks and months, I would get an email from a single friend back home who would tell me that Josh or his girlfriend were telling people to assure me that it was okay to come back and that things had blown over. A couple of times I even tried to reach out to some other friends back home, only to find out that they were trying to cash in on the reward Mike had placed to anyone who could find out where I was. It eventually became easier to cut contact with anyone and everyone around me if I felt that I needed to move on or felt that I couldn't trust them entirely. I could never go back to who I was or where I came from physically or mentally. I later found out that Mike had a nasty habit of hiring dealers. Then when he thought they had made a good amount of money, he would conjure up some dire situation in which they needed to pay him back a crazy amount of money. He would drain them for every dime they had until they couldn't pay anymore. After that, they would usually end up in a ditch somewhere. One of his associates, who happened to be my next-door neighbor back home, was recently charged for first-degree murder after taking a woman out to the woods and disposing of her. Although this did a number on my trust issues, I've made a lot of changes throughout my life since the event. I've changed my name. I'm in my mid-30s now. I have an amazing corporate position in a company that changes lives. I speak to schools about the impact of poverty, and it's taught me to empathize with people in different situations than my own. I own a condo in a beautiful city, I'm engaged, took up learning a second language, and I never take the second chance that I've been given for granted. I've been clean for just over 15 years now. I've never told anyone in my new life about what's happened. I don't think they would believe me if I did. Even though I take full responsibility for my stupidity in my younger years, to the biker that is waiting to collect on his ridiculous $260,000 debt, I only hope that we never meet again. This happened last night around 7.30pm. 
so it was already dark outside. My friend and I, both 22-year-old females, were about two-thirds of the way through our 16-hour drive back home from Salem, Massachusetts. I really needed a pee, so we stopped at a rest area in eastern Pennsylvania. I usually avoid rest areas, but it looked nice enough, and I didn't have any bad feelings about it. We walked in, and the only other person inside was an older man, probably mid to late 60s, standing by the vending machines, talking on his phone. We went past him, across the room, and into the bathroom. We were in there for a good 10 to 15 minutes because my friend had some acne that needed some attention. When we were finished, we walked back out laughing at something one of us had said, and the man was still standing there, but he was no longer on the phone. He stared and smiled at us in what we both thought was a creepy manner. His gaze followed us the entire time it took us to get to the door to exit the rest area. We started running back to my car, which was about six parking spaces from the door. Still laughing, but also a little freaked out. We were about to get in the car when I remembered my boyfriend wanted us to check my oil on the way home since it was such a long drive and my car had been having some slight issues. I considered waiting until the next time we needed a stop for gas, but decided to just get it over with. As I was checking the oil, the man from before, along with another slightly younger man that we hadn't seen, left the rest area. They both started walking towards us, with the younger one coming ahead on the sidewalk and the older one kind of going diagonally towards the driver's side of the car. This was odd because there were no other cars past mine. The only cars I could see were on the other side of the lot, closer to the building. My friend and I looked at each other and bolted for the car doors, but then I realized I was still holding the dipstick, so I cursed and we had to run back over to lift the hood up. We hurried into the car and locked the doors just as they were approaching. We watched as the younger man walked slowly past the car, staring in at us with a blank face. He continued walking down the sidewalk for a while before pausing and turning around to come back towards us. The older man, still smiling, mind you, got within a few feet of the driver's side door, then turned and walked past us to the other side of the parking lot. I backed out, and once I straightened the car and started pulling forward to leave the rest area, we saw he had moved to the middle of the road and was standing there with that same unnerving smile but now he was motioning for us to stop. I drove past him because, uh, no way. We watched in the mirrors as both men got into cars on the other side of the parking lot closer to the building. We spent the next couple of hours shaken up and blabbing about what could have happened. I'm not sure what their intentions were, but there can't be any good reason to approach two women like that at a rest area. I tried telling myself that maybe they were going to ask if I needed help with my car but I was very clearly just checking the oil. And it doesn't make sense why the younger man would walk the complete opposite direction from his car, go so far down the sidewalk, just to turn around and walk back towards us. So truth be told, I'm still not sure what their ideas were. And if I'm being honest with myself, I'm totally fine with it. My college was very safe. The worst that happened was crazy drunk frat boys getting the police called for mischief. It was your typical campus fitted with those blue boxes 
where you can call for an emergency. Now, when I walked around campus, I'd often scroll through Reddit or Instagram. I know it was stupid, but don't judge me. I was a college student. Anyway, this particular night it was dark out, but only about 7 p.m. There were lots of other students walking around, and the campus was pretty well lit. Yet for some reason, I didn't go on my phone this time. I just had this feeling that something was off. I couldn't place it, but in the back of my head, I felt like something bad was going to happen. The walk continued normally, and by the time I got back to my dorm, I had begun to laugh at myself. Now these were apartment-style dorms you entered from the outside via a pathway. As I got near my residence, the feeling from before returned, and this time I was hit by a sudden feeling of intense fear, much stronger than before. I looked around the common area and noticed a light coming from my room. Something told me not to investigate, and instead, I muttered, Seriously? I forgot it? And went back outside. I felt a bit paranoid for the next few minutes, crouching down behind the window like a crazy person. I began to think I was just being weird when I heard footsteps. I slowly peeked into the window to see a man I didn't know coming out of my room and pouring himself a glass of soda. He brought it back with him and disappeared into my room once more. I stayed there for what felt like forever until I'd guess about an hour passed and I heard footsteps again. He was headed for the front door and I bolted to the stairway. I climbed to the floor above and waited for a few minutes before returning. Sure enough, he was gone, and when I did enter my dorm, I no longer had a bad feeling. I checked the place thoroughly and found nothing to be out of the ordinary, until I laid down to go to bed a few hours later, and I felt something weird under the covers. I jolted up and turned on the lights to find a few condoms wrapped in plastic. I'm not sure what would have happened, but I'm fairly certain now that somebody was waiting to assault me. I didn't recognize this man from class, but he definitely was about my age. I don't know how he knew me, but the thought that I could have been stalked without realizing it struck me like a pound of bricks. I never saw the man again, and I never got the same feeling on campus. Somehow, I subconsciously knew that something was wrong. I have no clue how and maybe there's an explanation, maybe there's not at all, but that bad feeling may have saved my life. I hope and pray that nobody else finds themselves in a situation such as this, but if ever your gut tells you something, I implore you to take heed. It may make all the difference in the world.